Hi, I'm Archie Curry. And I'm Dee Curry. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. Texas. Hi, everyone, and welcome, and a very happy and blessed New Year to you. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. It's Sunday, January 7th, and this, this is your Sunday sermon. You know, the other day I was reflecting on my life with Jesus and all he's seen me through. Through the memories, I thought back to when I was saved. The gospel was shared with me, I gave my life to Christ, and I was baptized, but then came the question, now what? What am I supposed to do? What do I need to do to grow in this relationship with the Lord? Welcome to our new sermon series, Discipleship Matters. Over the next eight weeks, we're going to wrestle with the discipleship demands of Jesus from the Gospels. Today, in part one, we start by defining what discipleship means. But before we do, join me in an opening word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, Almighty God, we celebrate you, we worship you, and we thank you for your amazing love and grace. Lord, teach us about discipleship. This is really important for us. We need to really all learn this. So God, thank you for the privilege we have to study your word. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen and amen. First of all, let's start by defining what a disciple of Jesus is. A disciple is a believer who lovingly follows Jesus and intentionally helps others follow him. So then discipleship can be defined as teaching, leading, and demonstrating to others what it means to think, act, and speak as a follower of Christ. You know, the church is full of people who come to know Jesus as Savior, yet they're never taught what it means to actually follow him. So what better way to start the new year than by teaching you about discipleship so you can, in turn, teach others? I'm so excited about this. Let's go. Matthew 4.18 says, One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they were fishing for a living. So here's Jesus. He's walking on the beach of the Sea of Galilee, but he wasn't just having a leisurely stroll. No, he was walking with purpose. He was walking to find certain fishermen who he wanted to call to follow him. We know from John 1, 35 to 49, that Jesus had met Peter and Andrew before, so he didn't approach them as strangers. And then in verse 19, Jesus says to them, come, follow me, and I'll show you how to fish for people. So Jesus told them to leave their fishing business and follow him. In other words, Jesus was asking these men to become his disciples and to begin fishing for people. In these verses is the call to serve and the purpose to serve. It was Jesus' desire for these men to grow and then bring others along with them. And beloved, it's the same call and purpose for us today. We're also to grow and bring others along with us. 2 Timothy 2.2 says, You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. In a nutshell, a devoted disciple disciples other disciples who in turn disciple more disciples. In preparation for this sermon series, I read each of the four Gospels and put the letter D in the margin of the verses that deal with the call and cost of discipleship. Guess how many times in the Gospels Jesus clarified his call for disciples to follow him fully? I counted 104 times. The main text today is Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. But before we get there, let me set the context for you. After Jesus was raised from the dead, he appeared to Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. 
Later, he showed up to Peter and then two disciples on the road to Emmaus. That evening, he appeared to most of the disciples and finally to Thomas. Shortly after this, we read in verses 16 through 17, Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. What can we learn from these verses? I believe that there's three key truths that we can learn from them. The first is, obedience is always the expectation. Even though the resurrection happened in Jerusalem, Jesus directed the disciples to meet him in Galilee, a journey of approximately 90 miles. We see this in Matthew 26, verse 32, which says, But after I have been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. This was a challenging and difficult trip, but the disciples didn't even hesitate. Likewise, we should always strive for immediate obedience, no matter how hard it is. Now, don't miss this. If the disciples wanted to see Jesus again, they had to go to Galilee. Because the disciples obeyed Jesus, they put themselves in position to hear him make a monumental statement. Now, listen, if we're not obedient, we'll never know the person of Jesus or his plans. Obedience is the key to fulfilling God's plans for our lives. The second truth is the right response is always reverence. When the disciples see Jesus, they hit the dirt in worship. The idea behind this word for worship is they prostrated themselves in praise, much like they did in Matthew 14, after watching Jesus walk on the water. It said, then the disciples worshiped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. Now, the third truth is your doubts don't disqualify you. The word doubt means to be divided in half, uncertain, wavering, and hesitation. It was used of a person standing where two pathways met, resulting in indecision. I find it fascinating that Jesus doesn't rebuke his disciples for their doubts, nor does he reject the worship of those who revered him. While some found great delight in him, others doubted him. Most of them were focused and faithful, but some were filled with fear. We're a lot like that, aren't we? Sometimes we're devoted and other times we doubt. Now, before we unpack Matthew 28 verses 18 to 20, which is also known as the Great Commission, I wanna share some stunning results of a study done by the Barna Group in 2018. When asked if churchgoers had heard the Great Commission, 51% said they didn't recognize this term. 25% of them said they heard of the Great Commission but didn't know what it meant. Sadly, 76 of those who go to church have no clue what the Great Commission is all about. And sadly, only 17% have heard of the Great Commission and know what it means. Now to be clear, the Great Commission is found in all four Gospels, but for our purposes, we'll be in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. These words come as a direct command from Christ. Here's what he said. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, I believe that there are three main points in this passage that should propel us to participate in Jesus' mission. So let's take a look at them, okay? Here we go. Here's the first one. Be convinced of the full authority of Jesus. We see this in verse 18. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. I love that Jesus drew near to the doubters. Before giving them an assignment, Jesus made sure they knew he had the authority to do so. The word all here refers to totality and authority. It speaks of power. Jesus has the right and the might to do whatever he decides to do. We see this in John 3.35. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Beloved, 
Have you given Jesus first place in your life? Is he prominent or is he preeminent? Do you call him Lord, but live your life any way you like? In his book called Multiply, Francis Chan writes, imagine Jesus walking up to the first disciples and saying something like this. Hey, would you guys mind identifying yourselves with me in some way? Don't worry. I don't actually care if you do anything I do or that you change your lifestyle at all. I'm just looking for people who are willing to say they believe in me and call themselves Christians. Chan adds, the call to be a disciple of Jesus Christ is open to everyone, but we don't get to write our own job description. If Jesus is Lord, then he sets the agenda. Jesus has all authority. He's in charge and he's in control. The number one requirement in fulfilling the Great Commission is to make sure you are a devoted follower of Jesus. That's the first part of being a disciple of Jesus, a believer who lovingly follows Jesus. Now, the second part involves being committed to follow the assignment of Jesus. Once we've submitted to his authority, we're ready to receive his assignment as found in verses 19 through 20a, which say, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. Now, remember, he gives this commission to make disciples out of doubters. That actually makes me feel good. Jesus is saying something like, go and make disciples. And while you do, your doubts are going to disappear. Folks, this is not a suggestion. It's not even an option. So let's unpack these verses phrase by phrase. First, the word is therefore. Now, because of his authority, Jesus has the right to reign supreme and to give commands to his charges. Everything he says and all that we've been given to is based on his universal and unquestioned lordship. The next word is go. This word literally means to transport oneself, to go from one place to another or in your going. In other words, we are to make disciples in the natural course of our lives, wherever we go. To go is a given. And as we go, and we will go, this is what we should do. We must move and not stand still. We're to be active, not inactive. I mean, after all, the first two letters of the word gospel are G-O, go. Because God is always on the move, going means crossing boundaries, going across the street, going to have dinner with an unbeliever, going to the south side, going beyond one's comfort zone, and going cross-culturally to another country. Next are the words, and make disciples. The Greek words didaskalos means teacher, and mathetes means pupil or disciple. It was impossible for a teacher to be a teacher unless they had disciples. It was equally impossible to be a disciple unless you had a teacher. It was the relationship between pupil and teacher that was the essence of discipleship. Discipleship is all about relationship. A disciple is literally a learner, one who is being mentored by the master. It also denotes one who follows another's teaching. So a disciple is a lifelong learner who lives out what he or she is learning from the teacher. Mark 3.14 says Jesus then appointed 12 of them and called them apostles. They were to accompany him and he would send them out to preach. Even today, men and women are his method. We're called to be with Jesus and then go to those who need to hear the gospel. Discipleship is more than just getting to know what the teacher knows. It's becoming more like who the teacher really is. The goal of a disciple is given by Jesus in Luke 6, verse 40. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. And our commission is more than just evangelism. We make disciples by equipping, edifying, and enfolding new converts into reproducing churches. This is clearly evident in Acts 14, 21, which says, After preaching the good news in Derby and making many disciples, Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch of Pisidia. There's one main verb 
one main command in this passage. Can you see it? It's to make disciples. We are to go in order to make disciples. The next phrase is of all nations. When Jesus first sent out his disciples in Matthew 10 verses 5 and 6, he told them to go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But now he's instituting a worldwide mission. This was not only new and novel to many Jews, it was also detestable to them to think about going into pagan lands. The task of making disciples should extend to the ends of the earth. The Greek word nations is ethne. This is where we get the word ethnic, and it refers to people groups, not just countries. Our task is not just to make disciples in the 195 countries of the world, but we are to go to the over 16,000 distinct people groups scattered across the continents. We're to make disciples of everyone, everywhere, at all times. This requires dedicated disciples who will go, and dedicated disciples who will stand behind them with their prayers and checkbooks. John Piper reminds us that there are only three responses to the Great Commission. Go, send, or disobey. I fear that we as American Christians have lost sight of the fact that there are thousands of people dying without Christ every day and waking up to the horrors of hell. Here's a question, beloved. What percentage of the world's 7.8 billion people reside in the United States? What do you think? The answer is only 4.23%, and yet we often act like we're the center of the universe. Revelation 5.9 says, And your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Since there will be believers from every people group in heaven, we must go with the gospel and develop disciples to the ends of the earth. The next phrase is, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches that baptism is the immersion in water of a penitent believer. In the New Testament church, every believer was commanded to be baptized. Baptism symbolizes the cleansing and forgiveness of sins, the new birth, the circumcision of the heart, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and salvation. Baptism is not an option for the true believer. It is the acid test of our true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice, we're to baptize in the name, not in the names. Here we see unity and diversity. We see one God eternally existed in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Hey, have you ever gone to a grocery store and seen a can with no label on it? The problem is you don't know what's inside. If the can has a label that said green beans, it's like the can is saying, hey, I want you to know that I have green beans living inside me. When you're baptized, you're putting a label on your life and you want people to know that Jesus Christ is your Lord and that he lives inside you. If you profess Jesus as your savior and you're not baptized yet, then this is the next step. And if you're with us live right now in New Braunfels, then you can be baptized today. We can do that right now. Now, the next phrase is, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. We don't want filled up heads. We want filled up hearts and faithful hands and feet that obey. We're to teach people to obey all the commands of Jesus, which means a lifetime of learning and living out what that teaching means. One Greek dictionary explains it as persisting in obedience. Martin Luther once said about faith, while others are debating whether faith produces works, real faith has already run out into the streets and is at work. Tony Evans says, people want salvation but don't want to put in the time to be strong disciples of Jesus Christ. What many Christians want to do is to audit the Christian life. An audit is where a person goes to class to get information but is not required to do any work. Christ came near to the disciples and they knew him. Now he tells them to make him known. Now that we know him, we've got to grow and go so we can make him known to those who don't. 
A disciple is a believer who lovingly follows Jesus and intentionally helps others to follow him. So the first two points about today's passage are, number one, be convinced of the full authority of Jesus, and number two, be committed to following the assignment of Jesus. Here's the final point. Be comforted by the faithful assurance of Jesus. Jesus has all authority to give us any assignment he chooses, but this can feel a little overwhelming sometimes. In the last part of verse 20, Jesus quickly promises, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. While Jesus gives what seems like an impossible assignment, he does so with his authority and also with his faithful assurance. Jesus is present with us throughout the entire discipleship process. Some of your Bible translations use the word amen, lo, or behold for the words be sure of this. The Greek literally means see, pay close attention, behold, and remember. The phrase I am is an empathetic one, and it brings us back to Exodus 3.14, where God referred to himself, I am who I am. When Moses wonders what he should say to people when they ask who sent him, God says, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. In a similar way, we are sent by the great I am, and we have the added promise of his presence when we proclaim the gospel. The word with means remaining in the midst of, and the word always means the whole of every day. Matthew began his gospel by explaining Emmanuel, God with us. In Matthew 18, verse 20, Jesus promises to be with us when we confront someone about sin, and the promise of his presence is tied to witnessing. Jesus is not only with us when we gather in his name, but when we go in his name. Because we have his assurance to be with us, we can complete his authoritative assignment to go and make disciples. In that sense, we don't go for him, we go with him. No matter how challenging and difficult the task may seem, remember that the Redeemer is with you. Hold on to this promise in Matthew 16, 18, beloved. I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. The entire commission is bookend with Jesus' sovereign power. That's all authority and his eternal presence. I'll be with you. This is a blanket promise of the ongoing presence of the Son of God with his people wherever they go, no matter how far they go, to the very end of the age. In summary, Jesus is saying something like this. Be convinced of my full authority. Be committed to follow my assignment and be comforted by my faithful assurance. I like what James Montgomery Boyce writes. We've been given a very great task, but we do not need to attempt it in our own strength. We have the Lord's power at work within us as well as his power to be with us to the very end we obey the Great Commission. Every time you and I go with the gospel, every time we strive to live out the Great Commission, every time we have the awkward spiritual conversation, every time we seek to disciple someone, Jesus is there with us and he'll be with us until the end of the age. You can count on the promise of his presence. We're never closer to Jesus than when we're doing what he commands us to do. Now, I don't want discipleship to become a program of Word of Hope Christian Church because discipleship is the purpose of our church. It's for everyone, not just the pastor or the elders, and it starts in our hearts and then is fleshed out in our homes. Parents are called to make disciples of their children, and grandparents are called to disciple grandchildren. While decisions for Christ are important, the true metric is how many disciples of Christ we're making. Our aim is for everyone to be lovingly following Jesus and intentionally helping others to do the same. We want you to be discipled by someone and for you to disciple someone. 
Now I'm going to close out this sermon with some questions for you. In fact, I have four. Here's the first one. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Beloved, if you don't know Jesus yet, it's time to get saved. Put your faith in him and then lovingly follow him for the rest of your life. Number two, what one thing will you do to grow in 2024? Here's a newsflash. You will not coast into Christ's likeness. According to research, only those who are intentional will actually engage in discipleship. We must not only have faith in Jesus, we must faithfully follow him. If you want 2024 to be different, then decide to go deep. Some of you are saved but not surrendered. Others of you have professed faith in Christ, but you've never been baptized. What are you waiting for, my friends? Join the church, commit to gathering, growing, giving, and going with the gospel, all for the glory of God. Question three, what is your Bible reading plan for 2024? Studies show reading the Bible is the number one predictor for spiritual growth. If you want to grow, you must get into God's word and must allow God's word to get into you. That's our topic for next weekend. Some of you already have a reading plan in place, but if you don't, I highly recommend the Navigator's 5x5x5 plan, which is the New Testament Bible reading plan. It's five minutes a day, five days a week, with five ways to dig deeper, and copies are available for you at our information table. You can also go to the Navigator's website and download the PDF. Now, for those of you who prefer online plans, I would also recommend the YouVersion Bible app and their Bible reading plans. Here's the last question. What one person will you pour into in 2024? Moses had Joshua. Eli influenced Samuel. Elijah impacted Elisha. Barnabas put his arm around Paul. Priscilla and Aquila discipled Apollos. Paul trained Timothy and Titus. And Jesus discipled the twelve and gave more extensive exhortations to Peter, James, and John. The group Jesus poured into was small. It took him over three years to train twelve people while there were millions in the world at the time. How could a dozen men be expected to reach all nations with the gospel? The answer, my friends, is found in the principle of multiplication. Let me explain. Would you rather have a million dollars every week for a year or a penny a day doubled for a year? At the end of the year, if you choose option one, it would yield $52 million, which is a really nice sum. But in option two, a penny a day doubled for a year, it would give you over $360 trillion. Now let's take this out of dollars and put it into discipleship. Would it be better to disciple 10 people a year for 30 years or one person every two years? Option one would yield 300 disciples over a lifetime, but option two would produce 32,768 disciples. A disciple is a believer who lovingly follows Jesus and intentionally helps others to follow. This is our battle cry for 2024 and beyond. Are you ready? Are you willing? Because I know you are able, and I know that Jesus is ready for you today. Let's go, church. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God, real hope.